share a little bit with us, uh, really about something relatively simple. I'm going to stick this behind me. Something relatively simple that I think that sometimes I have uh, had the habit of overly complicating. Well, let me start by saying this. It's been a wild two weeks for those of us in central Oklahoma, right? I mean, we have dealt with all kinds of, of things, storms of magnitude that are kind of unimaginable. All of us know somebody who's had their life torn apart on some level. I mean, every one of us, if not our own, every one of us knows someone. And so, you know, as we begin to process those things and we begin to think through them, one thing is really certain, and that's this. Life just goes on, right? I mean, bills still need to be paid, work still needs to be done, kids still need to be taken places. In the midst of all of that, life just sort of moves. And one of the things that we see in Scripture, that we see in the Bible all the time, is Jesus meeting people right in the middle of their movement of life, whether that's in the middle of tragedy or heartache or struggle or sort of complication or just questions or concerns, Jesus shows up in the middle of people's lives. It's what he did. He'd walk around and just intercept people's lives. And oftentimes people would come from the surrounding countryside when they heard that Jesus was in the vicinity because they just wanted to be in his presence. They just wanted to to show up and see what this guy was all about. And they would bring their questions and their hurts. They'd bring the sick people around and they'd bring their family members just hoping to get close enough to this Jesus where, you know, just maybe they can catch a glimpse of something powerful. And as Jesus showed up in the lives of people, everyday lives of people, he would oftentimes spend hours with them just teaching and talking and listening the Bible records Jesus being, spending countless hours touching the sick, spending time healing uh, people's kind of ailments and hurts and dealing with questions and concerns. He spent his life with people. In fact, that very famous kind of uh, miracle in the Bible where Jesus feeds 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and fish, it also, Matthew also records that Jesus spent the whole day listening to them and dealing with their sick people and touching and listening and speaking into their lives all day long, which is what Jesus did. He'd intercept people's lives, and he'd invite them into his life. And it was a really amazing picture. And oftentimes, as Jesus did that, he would teach very kind of relevantly through parables. And parables are, you know, most of us have been raised to think that parable is some kind of like metaphorical story. It's like a, it's got an earthly story with some kind of like heavenly meaning. But, but, ha- but parables are really, well, they're a lot more kind of beautiful than that. They're about real life. They're meant for us to hear and walk away saying, God, how do I live in absolute response to that? And as I was thinking about what kind of we were going to talk about today in light of all the things that have happened in the, the past couple of weeks, the fact that our lives are just sort of moving, and, and we tend to get really complicated with Scripture and, and ask somebody to tell us something, something new, one of the things that God kind of demonstrated to me was that sometimes it's the simple, the beautifully simple that we miss and we need to hear so much. So this morning... We're going to kind of explore the beautifully simple. Now, have you ever had something, a simple task that someone gave you to do that you sort of overly complicated, right? I tend to do that quite often. Uh, A few years ago, I got home from work one afternoon, and I saw smoke coming from my neighbor's backyard. And uh, we lived kind of up north in the Edmond area, and we saw, I saw smoke coming from our neighbor's backyard. And then all of a sudden, I heard this woman at the top of her lungs running up our street screaming, fire, fire. 
I mean hysterical. It wasn't even her house. She's just coming running this way. I kind of thought, it's a little bit, kind of, there's some smoke there, but I don't know that we need to go, go crazy. She's screaming. So, so I kind of run out in the street, and I go, what's going on? She goes, there's a fire. There's a fire. What are we going to do, right? And I was thinking, well, we're going to start by calling 911. I mean, I've been pretty trained in how to handle these things. So I picked up my phone, and I called 911. They said, 911, what's your emergency? And I said, and, and they, she could hear the girl in the back. I go, fire! I go, apparently we've got a fire. And uh, she goes, okay, well, tell everybody to calm down. I was like, calm down, right, to that one. She goes, um, you want us to send the fire department? I was like, well, yeah, there's a fire. So uh, at least I think there is. And right about that time, I see the flames kind of coming out of their backyard, right? And I think, yeah, that's, that's pretty good fire. Let's go ahead and send those people over. She goes, well, what's your address? And so I told her, and she said, oh, you are, uh, you're, you've called Edmund uh, Fire and Rescue. I was like, okay. She goes, you're actually on the border. You're in Oklahoma City. You need to talk to Oklahoma City Fire Department. I said, I just called 911. She goes, I'm going to have to connect you. I was like, all right, well, I'll just wait here, you know. And meanwhile, the whole neighborhood will burn down. That's fine. That's fine. This lady is still now going. Now she's banging on their garage door. I was like, move to the front door, you know, but she's just going crazy. And so I go around their house while I'm on hold on transfer to uh, the uh, Oklahoma City people because apparently Edmund doesn't want to come across the street, which that's fine. And uh, so I go around the house, and sure enough, there's a tree just on the other side of their back fence, and it is engulfed in flames. It's this pine tree, and it is just, I mean, now it's just a single tree on fire, right? Like the reversal of the burning of the bush. Like this thing is just up in flames. And, and that's really all that's kind of on fire is this tree in a little small circle around it. But it's getting close to their fence, and, and I'm running around there now, and they get, I get connected, and, and it says, hello, you know, if you reach Oklahoma City, whatever, press once. I press one, and I get and somebody answers, goes, what's your emergency? I was like, there's a fire. The lady is screaming her head off at this point in time, and I can hear her banging. I go, there's a fire, and they say, okay, we'll, we'll send someone right over, you know, get everyone out of the area. And I was like, okay, so I go around the back of the house, and I'm standing there, and there's this just blaze of tree. And I begin to slowly off in the distance hear the fire trucks. It's pretty close to, to our house, and I can hear that fire truck, and, and it pulls up in our neighborhood, and it's... um. Like, have you ever seen, like, a brush truck? It's a, it's a fire truck that looks like a pickup truck with a hose reel on the back. It's, like, for grass fires. So it's got a big old hose reel, like 500 feet of, like, fire hose. And this guy gets out, and he's dressed like me. He's in shorts and, and, a sh- and uh, like, uh, shoes. And he's just, like, he's been out, you know, flying a kite or whatever. And he came over, and he pulls his truck up on the yard. And I was like, well, don't send everybody is what I wanted to say. But I was like, that's fine. So he hops out. He's like a first kind of responder guy. And, and he's looking at me, and I'm now at the phone. And this lady is now running literally around in circles, just going, fire, fire. Now the kids are all coming out to see what the crazy lady's doing. And she's going around, right? And, and uh, so I, I, I look at this guy, and it's just him. And, and, you know, he looks at the fire. There's trees on fire. And he goes, you give me a hand? I was like, yes, I'll give you a hand. I go, but we can't go dressed like this. I mean, people need to see us dressed up like fire people. But he goes, like, give me a hand. Um, here's what I need you to do. I need you to pull some of this hose off the truck, right? Now, we are from myself to about, oh, I mean, we couldn't have been 20 feet. I mean, we are right there. And so, man, I, you know, I get real excited. I just start pulling hose off this thing. Boom, boom. He goes over there, and, and uh, he gets his hose out, and he's kind of waiting for this. got this kind of water spray on it. And I look over, and this little stream of water comes over the fence. It's falling in a little puddle right here. Meanwhile, a tree is blazing. It's a little puddle. And I look over, and my neighbor's got his garden hose out like this. Not even touching the fire, but maybe he is ready, right? This big tree. And so the guy's like, pull the hose. So I'm pulling the hose, and I'm just going to town. And he opens up this fire hose, and it's just like, douses this thing. Fire goes out in like seven seconds. Like this whole tree goes down. 
goes out. It's all black, and the little needles are all burned. He puts out the grass, and, and, uh, and he's got, I mean, just doused it in the neighbor's little spray. is still kind of going over there. Meanwhile, I'm still yanking hose off this truck. <laughs> I am focused on what this brother asked me to do. And so I'm pulling this hose up as fast as I can, you know. And I look over, and the, the tree is basically kind of out, and he's spraying the area. And I look down, and as I pull that last tug, it just stops. And I look down, there must be 300 feet of hose <laughs> right here at my feet. And I was thinking, uh-oh. Uh, so I was trying to figure out how I was going to get it on there before this guy came back over. So he puts this thing out. And right about that time, the huge fire truck comes. I mean, the big ladder truck, and all the guys are, like, dressed for the occasion. You know, they've got oxygen on. They come piling out like they're going to save the day. And, and this guy's standing there, and the tree's done burning, and he's put it out, and he's got the hose. And I'm standing there in all this hose. And the guy walks over, and he looks at me, and he goes, really? <laughs> I mean, that's really what he said. And I was like, dude, I, I'm really sorry. I got really excited. The real fireman, and he's probably a real fireman, volunteer guy, but he was in shorts and shoes. It can't be that real. So you, the real firemen come over, and they just start laughing so hard. Because meanwhile, this guy's got to get on this crank. And I was kind of like, you want me to give you a hand, man? He's like, just go, son. I was like, we can all, we all go get pizza later? I mean, I didn't know what to do. I was seeing all these firemen. You know, I mean, I was kind of one of them. I'd helped with the hose and everything. So I was thinking, and you don't know if you're supposed to tip them or whatever. You're like, thanks for coming out. I mean, I got a 20, maybe. Actually, I got a five. Is that, how do, we, how do we do this? Do you build? I didn't know what to do, so it was just this really awkward, kind of like, I'll leave you to that hose, man, and uh, see you later. So I saved the neighborhood, which is kind of what that story was all about. But sort of simple tasks, and we overcomplicate them. Or these simple messages, and we turn them into something great. He just needed a little help. I overcomplicated the situation. When I think about this parable that we're going to look at here in just a few seconds, I think about the fact that sometimes we look at Scripture and we overcomplicate it. We turn it into something that it's really saying more than it possibly is. And maybe, just maybe, if we look at the simple truths of God, they would change who we are. It would change us. So we're going to look at a a parable in the book of Luke chapter 15. And if you've got your Bible, um, you can follow along. If not, I'll read it to you. But um, we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 15. and, And with all these kind of people driving by and life just sort of going on, we're going to take a really simple look, a very relevant look, um, and kind of in the, in the wake of the two weeks that we've experienced about sort of God's simplistic, simplistically beautiful picture of his love for, for you and for me. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and flip to Luke chapter 15. If not, I will uh, read it for us. And let's just take a moment before we open God's word together and um, let's pray. Let's pray. God, I absolutely love that this is what we get to do, that we get to stand outside um, on an incredibly beautiful June day and worship you and talk about you. And God, you are just that wonderful. And we thank you, God, that you have given us reason to sing and celebrate and dance and, and eat and hang out together. And that, God, your love is redemptively amazing. And so, Lord, move in our hearts. Teach us something new in these, four, in these uh, short few minutes ahead. And uh, then let us celebrate your greatness as, as a community, as the church, Big C. Uh, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. Amen. So very famous parable. Jesus taught these parables, and the main point of a parable was for us at the end to basically say, so what are you saying to me, right? So what are you trying to teach me? And, and so the whole idea is Jesus teaching in relevant ways people that would, would understand what these, these things meant. And oftentimes, as we'll see today, use parables of like shepherds, parables of, of farmers, things that people would experience sort of every day to use those moments to speak truth about the character and nature of God and about the kingdom of God. 
And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to take a a look at one of these parables um, where Jesus was explaining some simple truth about the character and nature of God that I think sometimes in our sort of desire to go really deep, we miss some of the simple kind of beauty of the picture of God's love. So this is uh, Luke chapter 15. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, does he not joyfully put it on his shoulders and then go home? Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This parable is a series of about four parables where Jesus sort of teaches on this sort of centrality, on the central nature of God's love. But the picture that's kind of laid out there is really important, and I don't want us to miss it, because the Pharisees, which are like the religious elite, they're the people that are sort of like, they're civically in charge, they're kind of in charge of the sort of religious community, and they always gathered around Jesus, number one, to hear what he had to say, and number two, to try and trap him and trick him, because Jesus was really kind of messing up the way that they lived. And so these Pharisees would gather and Jesus would teach. And then also Jesus welcomed normal, broken people, sinful people, tax collectors. And he would welcome them to be a part of what he was doing. And I love this picture because the audience that's gathered here is, is kind of eclectic. It's a, it's a mess of people. It's got the, the super religious and the people that are in charge and those that are a little bit better than everybody else. Then it's got the tax collectors, which are the people that everybody hated. Even the really sinful people hated the tax collectors because they stole from everybody. And then you had your normal everyday sinners, right? Your, your people that did really bad things, some of your people that just did sort of bad things, and everything from, you know, people that abused stuff or were in adulterous relationships or just whatever. Sinful people that weren't living according to the law that God had for them. And you had all these people gathered around Jesus, and he began to teach them. Well, it made the Pharisees crazy, the religious elite, because they couldn't stand the fact that this Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher, would even spend time with these people. And so it says that they were muttering amongst themselves. Can you believe it? This Jesus welcomes and eats with sinners and tax collectors. In other words, he allows people that are below him, that are unclean, that are unworthy to even be in his presence. And what is more, he's welcomed them, and he's even eating with them. And part of that's lost on us, on a sort of fast food, fast-paced American culture, you know, where meals don't mean anything. They're just stuff we've got to do in order to go from one activity to another so that we don't faint. But food in the Middle East and food in Latin American culture is a big deal. When you shared meals with someone, you shared life. You shared life. You were basically inviting them into your world. And meals would take a long time. And all lots of times through Scripture, we see Jesus sharing meals with people, basically saying, I am opening my life to you. And we miss that, but this is what's happening. It's what's frustrated that just the, that just made the Pharisees crazy that Jesus was eating with these sinful, broken people. And so this is the audience he's telling these parables to. He's not telling them to a bunch of people that are, are perfect, and he's telling them to broken people that are running from God and that are trying to get their questions answered in the middle of living in the middle of tragedy, and they've got their sick people with them, and all these things, and this crowd is here. And Jesus begins to teach them. Frustrated Pharisees, hungry sinners, sick people, and everybody gathered together. And Jesus begins to teach him a parable. And he talks about being a shepherd and a lost sheep. And it was something that everybody would have been familiar with because shepherding was something that was part of the culture. In fact, where he was teaching, most likely, a couple hundred yards away or whatever, up on a mountainside, there was a shepherd and he was grazing his sheep. 
And so most likely when Jesus taught, he would say, you know, think about the shepherd. And people would be able to look, and and those, those illustrations were tangible. And he tells this sort of story about a shepherd. He goes, now suppose a shepherd had, had a bunch of sheep. He had 100 sheep and he loses one, right? Would he not go after that one lost sheep until he finds it? And then when he does find it, would he, not, he would not joyfully put it on his shoulders and bring it home and then call all of his friends and neighbors over and have this incredible sort of celebration. Wouldn't that happen? And, and you can almost imagine everybody that's there is going, you know, that would happen because I've seen that happen. I mean, you know, I had a great, my cousin, He's, he's kind of crazy, but he's a shepherd. And the reason he's a shepherd is because no one can spend time with him. He just goes out there and spends time with his sheep. But, but he's like that. I mean, one wanders off and he takes a stick and, and he goes and he hunts that, that sheep down. Because these shepherds gave their life for their sheep. They would beat down bears and all kinds of things to, to protect those sheep. And Jesus is laying out these foundational sort of principles, the next three parables, about God's amazing love. He's trying to prepare and teach this crowd of of Pharisees and religious elite and sinners and broken people and tax collectors that God's love is for you. And listen to these things that he says. There's about four things in here I want you to hang on to, and then then we'll be done and we'll move on. But there's four pictures of God's love that is really simple that I don't want us to miss in this. And I don't want us to overcomplicate it by trying to see the depth in all these parables. But just think about what Jesus is saying when he talks about God being the shepherd and pursuing you and pursuing me. He says, so suppose a shepherd loses a sheep. He's got 99, leaves the 99 in the open country, and he goes after the lost sheep. So the first thing that we see is this picture of going after, that first phrase. Suppose one of these sheep wanders off, the shepherd goes after. The first picture of God's love that I want us to understand this morning is that God's love is pursuing. God's love is pursuing. It means that God's love goes after you. God's love goes after me. Oftentimes we think that we've got to get our lives together to show back up for the Lord. Like, look, I know what I did last night. I know what I've done with my life. I know those things. I know who I am. I know the mess that I've made. And so once I clean this thing up, right, once I get this picture kind of presentable, or I get all my questions answered about who God is, then I'll show back up in church. Or then I'll decide that I'm going to kind of get serious with God. Or I'm going to wait till I get married and have kids. And then I'll kind of get my life back together. And we think that somehow if we can get our lives back under control, fix a few areas here, do a few areas this, stop doing that, quit doing this, meet that one person or whatever, then everything will come together. And then we can show back up and we can say, God, see, I was kind of a mess, but, you know, I, I, here's, I, I put this thing together and it's kind of the best I've got. And we think that we can present ourselves to the Lord. What we see in this picture is that when that sheep wanders off, God's love is pursuing. You will never clean yourself up. I will never clean myself up enough to present myself to God, ever. I will never do it. It's an impossibility. So what does God do? God pursues me. God pursues you. While we're wandering, whether it's seven feet or 700 miles, God pursues you. He is in deep, passionate love with his creation, and he leaves and pursues the lost. Now, most of us think the lost sheep is referring to someone else. It's that, that crazy ant that we have that is just like three shakes of sideways. And God's love is after her, but the rest of us, we're all kind of okay. But the picture that Jesus paints is that we're all part of this sort of lost sheep without Jesus. Every single one of us. And God's love is pursuing. So we see God in this sort of pursuing love. The second thing we see in this passage is that God pursues, the shepherd pursues this sheep until he finds it. So the shepherd pursues, goes after until he finds it. Here's the thing about God's love. The second thing I want you to hear is that God's love is relentlessly kind of never ceasing. God doesn't give up. 
The shepherd doesn't give up. It says that he pursues that lost sheep until he finds it. No darkness, no kind of dangerous kind of terrain, no threats, no bears, no wild animals. Nothing will stop me from pursuing my lost sheep until I find it. God's love is relentlessly pursuing. Sometimes we think God gives up on us, right? I mean, look, I've been doing the same thing for so many years. I've been trying to get this, this garbage out of my life, and it's not happening. And, and so I just think sometimes that God's given up on me. Everything in my life seems to collapse. Everything seems to go wrong. I can't get ahead. Bills are piling up. Life is piling up. My wife's left. These things are happening. My world is collapsing, and it feels like God is nowhere to be found. We feel that way sometimes. But the reality of the picture of God's love is that it's relentless, and it never ceases. God does not give up. God will continue to pursue you. He will continue to chase you until he finds you. And I'll tell you what, I find this so comforting because I wander. I wander all the time. I wander and I chase the things that I think are good for me, the things that I like, the things that I want, the things that kind of bring my heart at times pleasure, and God pursues me. God pursues me. So God's love is pursuing and is relentlessly never ceasing. But then look what happens when the shepherd finds the sheep. So the shepherd finds this lost sheep, and what does he do? He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. God's love is joyfully redemptive. Now think about this. Have you ever had, if those of you that have kids, have your kids ever done something so ridiculously just stupid that you, want, when you are so glad they're alive, but you cannot wait to tear them apart, right? I remember my dad pulled me out of the creek one time when it was kind of a flood area. He yanked me out of that creek, and I remember he tore me just to pieces. How could you be so stupid? You're going to die. Even though he was so grateful that I was alive, right? He was still so angry that I had wandered. Think about the difference in what happens with this shepherd. Sheep wanders off. Shepherd pursues the sheep until he finds it. When he finds it, what does he do? He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and go home. You know God's love. Is joyfully redemptive. What that means is that God doesn't show up and be like, how could you wander? I told you so many times that if you just stayed here, we would work this thing out. But you kept choosing sin. You kept choosing your own behavior. You kept choosing your own life. And he takes you home and he parades you in front of all your friends and family. And he says, you see what happens when you screw up? You see what this person did? Now learn your lesson. We oftentimes think God treats us that way. We're petrified of being found out because we think that God's going to be so disappointed in us that we're going to get that sort of lecture that we got from our mom. Look, I already know I blew it, right? So I don't need to hear it from you. And so we think God's going to react that way. We think God's going to be like, I told you. It's all going to fall apart. I told you to date that girl. She's bad news. You did it anyway. Look what you got. Now are you happy? Now are you happy? That's how, that's how we think. That's how our friends were like, I told you. I told you. You did it anyway, didn't you? Well, serves you right. We think God's going to do that to us. But look at what the shepherd does. He's joyfully redemptive. And he takes that sheep, this 90-pound dumb animal. He scoops it up and he puts it on his shoulders. You want to know why he puts it on his shoulders? Because it's easier to carry. Scoops that sheep up, puts it on his shoulders joyfully, and he goes home with it. He doesn't parade it back. He doesn't beat it down. He doesn't yell. He doesn't do any of those things. He doesn't give it that sort of... You know, I'm not really angry. I'm just kind of disappointed. He doesn't do any of that. He carries the sheep home, and he's joyful. 
God's love is pursuing. It is relentless, never-ending. And God's love is joyful. In other words, when God finds you in the middle of your sin, in the middle of that moment that is just awful, God is excited and he's joyful because his love is redemptive. I can't tell you, over the, over the past few years, as our church has kind of, we used to meet at Will Rogers Theater, um, which is just over on 43rd and Western, then we moved a few blocks up to 49th and Western. I can't tell you, probably, well, I can probably tell you, 10 or so people over the course of our time there have, have wandered into church because they saw a sign after a really bad night. Like, terrible decisions, felt terrible about their life, so they showed up for the first time because they saw a sign, and they walked in, and I said, how'd you hear about us? And they said, actually, I drove by. And, I, and as I get to know them and get to spend time with them, they basically say, Last night was a disaster, or this week has been a disaster, or I have chosen some really bad things, and I didn't know what else to do. God's picture of his love is that God steps in, he says, look, I love you. I mean, I love you. I don't care. I don't care. I love you. Let me take you home. And he scoops us up, and he walks us home. And then look what happens, fourth thing I want you to see, when he gets home. When the shepherd gets home with that sheep, he calls his friends and neighbors over, right? Calls his friends and neighbors, and he says, Rejoice with me, right, for I found my lost sheep. God's love is sort of ridiculously celebratory. So God goes and he pursues this sheep. He pursues you, he pursues me. Relentlessly pursues us till he finds us. Scoops us up in a celebratory kind of joyful, redemptive love. Walks us home and then proclaims to everyone else that this is a celebration. Luke 15, 10, which is just a few verses later, he says, look, I tell you, in the presence of the angel of God, angels of God, there's more celebration over one sinner who repents. God is saying, look, when, you, when God's love wraps around us, it is so celebratory that it's an explosion of joy. Oftentimes, I try and complicate sort of God's picture of love for me. It's a give and take. I do this, God blesses me. I do this, God will do this. I don't, God removes his blessing. And the reality is, is that if you really read scripture, that's not really the picture that we see. God's love is never changing. It's never ending. His grace never ceases. No matter what I do and how I blow it, his love pursues me relentlessly. And then God celebrates, right? Redemptively celebrates with us. And it is a kind of heaven-exploding party when God's love is kind of made known. Now, here's our thing for this morning. I don't know where you are, right? I mean, some of you I just met for the first time. Very first time my whole life, you walked up a couple of streets over, you saw a flyer, you did whatever. You, I don't know anything about you. Some of you I've known for years and years and years. But I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if you're drifting one mile or a thousand miles or two feet or, or you know, 2,000 feet. I don't know if you're stuck over here and never wanting to come back. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if you're struggling in your marriage, struggling with your kids, struggling with work, struggling financially. I don't know if you've got big questions about whether or not God even really exists. But the reality is what I know doesn't matter. Because God knows all and God is in pursuit of you. And God, I truly believe, brought us here today to tell us that he loves us. He will never walk out on us. He will never leave you. Even when the world around you collapses, that he wants to redeem your life and celebrate in the most amazing way because God can take the broken and turn it into the beautiful. So whatever thing is happening right now, God's redemptive, never-ending, always-pursuing, celebratory love is rescue. So what is it that you're hearing this morning? What is it that God's speaking to your heart? What is it that we need to come face-to-face with, face with and say, God, I am yours? 
We're going to close our time this morning in worship, celebrating this love. I mean, really just celebrating this picture of God's extravagant love. I'm going to be down front here. If you want to come pray with me or, or, or you know, share something with me, I'll do that. Tim and Julie are right down here. They're going to be available as well. They'd love to pray with you. If you've got something going on in your life that you'd like one of us to pray for, just come grab our hands. Let us pray for you. If, you, if you're sitting here going, man, listen, I showed up because I heard there was fried chicken, and that is great, but this Jesus thing, I'm not so sure about, but I want to know him, so, or I want to hear more. Come talk to me. Let me tell you about the God that has absolutely turned my life around, changed me, compelled me to live completely different, and loves me in spite of every horrible decision that I make. Let us pray over you and listen to your heart. And then as we close our time in worship, we're going to invite you to participate in a picnic with us. We've got food and all kinds of stuff. And grab a plate and come back under here and hang out and meet some new people. And uh, let's be a part of what God is doing in this place. So I'm going to close in prayer. And then we'll stand up and sing a little bit together. And then we'll share a meal and enjoy this incredible weather.